So then, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Here are the things in this Colossians 3 chunk, this very compressed little chunk of scripture that are the objective, factual achievements uh, that Jesus has done for us. And, And what's crazy is everything seems to center completely in Christ and everything that Christ did or will do directly relates to you if you are a believer in Jesus, right? So here's the six things that I'm, that I'm gonna highlight from it. Christ's sort of accomplishments. He was raised and you were raised with him when he was raised. So it's not just, an, it, uh, but, oh, that's cool. He, I'm glad he did that. No, no, no. It's per, all of these events have personal implications and meaning for you. He was raised and you were raised in him. He died and you died in him. This is a crazy one. Look at this one. He is now hidden in God. We're going to talk about it. And so are you. So much of who you really are is hidden right now. You have to believe it, though you don't see it, and you have to live by it, even when you don't feel it. And you can never expect the world to confirm it because it's hidden above, not down here. He was raised, you were raised with him. He died, you died with him. He is hidden in God, and so is the real you. He is your life. Well, that's a big, 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 big statement. He is, Christ is your life. Fifth, he, he will be revealed soon. Notice he's hidden now, but he will be revealed soon. And you will be revealed right then and there. Until then you're hidden, but then you'll be revealed when he's revealed. And then finally, he'll be, re- he'll be revealed in glory. Guess what? You will be revealed in glory. Right now, your glory is hidden and so is his. Let me say it the correct way. His glory is hidden and so is yours. But then his glory will be revealed and so will yours. Hopefully, right? That's if you finish well. So these are the objective realities of what Christ has done, and every one of them he didn't just do for you, he did as you, or will do in a way that represents you. Capiche? Okay, it's gospel logic. So much of Paul is gospel logic. He won't just tell you to do something because he wants you to do it. He'll tie it into what Christ has done or who Christ is. The Bible's not, like the New Testament does not just give you ethics. Be a good person, do these things. No, it intimately always connects the, the ethics to, to something about what Christ has done for you. It's always response, never earn, right? It's always conforming to who he is and who you now are, not just like a list of rules, which, which is because it's all about Jesus. It's all about, like for example, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. 
The Bible doesn't say, here's how men and women ought to be because it's the way that it should be because it's traditional values and the world is just getting going to hell in a handbasket. Mm, grumpy. No. It, the scripture, Paul tells women and men how to behave by looking to the gospel. You're to live out the gospel. It has nothing to do with the ethics of it. It has everything to do with, with manifesting the presence and the person of Jesus. Husbands, Lay your lives down for your wife. Why? Because Christ laid his wife, life down for the church. Wives, actually, actually respond, be, be responsive and, here's a non-culturally, here's a culturally naughty word, but it's a biblically beautiful word. Submissively respond to your husband's leadership as the church submissively responds to Christ's leadership. Why? Because it's for your good. It's for your thriving. Model, manifest the gospel. Again, there's gospel logic all throughout Paul. And, and actually, there's gospel logic all throughout Jesus, if you pay close attention. Pray for me. What did I say last night? I said, pray for me that I will stick to what I came to say, because I'll be tempted to say more. And by saying too much, say less. And then here's faith's responses. Because of all this stuff here, Paul only has two imperatives in this, in this little chunk. And really, they're built on this one. Since you've been raised with Christ, two things. Seek the things that are above and set your minds on the things that are above. Let's just go in order. You've been raised, therefore, number one, seek the things that are above. This has sometimes been called throne life. Christ is seated at the throne of God. And so are you. So the real you is living, exalted, seated on a throne with Christ, with perfect access to the Father. You're called to seek, you're called to seek what has now been made available. What has now been made available? Insight, understanding, knowledge of God's ways, revelation of God's will, God's truth, the very meaning of your life, and most importantly, the, the, the opportunity to know Christ, to know the Father, to know the Spirit, total access to the Father, communion with the Holy Spirit, your prayers heard and answered, the friendship of the Lord. Man, the friendship of the Lord is just... One of those themes that I, you know, it moves me, right? You confide like Psalm, Psalm 25, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. He confides in. Who do you confide in? Who do you tell your secrets? Right? Who do you, who do you confide in? Your friends. Love flowing from the Holy Spirit, ongoing revelations of God's beauty seen in Jesus. These are the things you're called to, to, to seek. We can live from the victory toward the fight, from abundance toward the problems, from God's riches towards life's needs, from God's wisdom towards life's troubles, from the fullness we've received towards the lack that we're experiencing. 
from acceptance, from approval, from adoption, from righteousness. Uh, Here's a verse that captures this beautifully for me. Luke 15, what God says, what the father says in Jesus's parable of the two lost sons, because it's two lost sons. One was lost away from home, one was lost at home, right? You with me? And this is what the father says to the older son when the older son won't enter the party. He says, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. See, this is what's yours now. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. Whatever you need. You didn't even know you had it. It was always yours. You just didn't know it. You never, well, you never threw me a party. You never did. Son, you never asked. You never asked. Tattoo that one on the wall. You know what I mean? You are always with me and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. All right, so those are the kinds of stuff we're supposed to seek. We're supposed to seek what? What has, our, what has been made available? We're not seeking something to make it available. We're seeking what has been made available. It's a response. It's faith's response is to seek these things that are above. And the second faith response is to set our minds on things above. Set our mind. Look at that word set. What does it mean to set your mind on something? To focus. So, so, there's, so, there's, so there's, the, there's like a laser, right? A laser, unlike a spot, like unlike a floodlight, is a, is, is a sharp focus. So, the, that's, so that's one meaning from set your mind on. It means think about, right? But what is the other meaning of set? It's the permanence. Keep your mind focused on. So yes, focus on Jesus. Focus on his exalted, victorious, like he's, he's overcome everything that was opposed to us, everything that would keep, everything that would sin and death, everything that would erode our life, destroy our life, limit our life, uh, fragment our life, keep us from God's intention and will. He's dealt with. He's already dealt with. And so therefore, keep your eyes fixed on him. Don't just, don't just focus on him. Stay focused on him. Don't break his gaze. Don't look away. Don't think about something else. And, and we don't even sometimes think this is possible, do we? We go, well, the things I think about are the things I'm gonna be thinking about. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit stop you short in the middle of a thought and say, don't think about that? You don't have to focus on that. You don't have to give that space. It's possible to say, I'm not going down that route. I'm not going down that road. Just the other day, I was talking with one of my friends and they said, and no one even called me. And I said, be very careful with that line of reasoning. That is victim thinking. It is powerless thinking. It is the, it is the seed of bitterness. It is gonna derail you. That is the devil. You're gonna go down a path if, if you feed that. Shut it down, shut it down. Speculation tends toward the negative. You can shut that line of reasoning down. You can stop thinking like a loser because that's loser thinking and it will cause you to lose at life. Right? Just say yes. All right, so set, fix, keep, permanently attached to. Connect, direct your thoughts to Jesus, connect your thoughts to Jesus and don't disconnect them. 
Since your life's not your own because you were bought with a price, you now live with one purpose. I, I, I exist to do your will. I don't exist to do my will anymore. That's over. That died. That's one of the things that died is me existing to do my will. So one of the things Carrie and I have been talking about is being frustrated already in advance when older people retire and waste their life. You know, work a, jo- work a job you hate your whole life and then retire and go on vacation. Wasted your life t- twice in one lifetime. You know, I heard a guy say that he showed up at the first day of an engineering firm and an older guy who was retiring, they gave him a gold watch or whatever and he was retiring and he said, Ugh, I've hated showing up to this job for 40 years. What? So what do you think work is for? I just... You have to have money to pay the bills. So business is just for money? Is the purpose of business money? Or do you need money to run a business? If your business only exists to make money, it's a demonic business. Business exists to provide a service that benefits people's life. Your business is supposed to exist to add value to people's lives. It needs to be financially viable to continue to provide that. It needs to be financially viable to continue providing. But the purpose of your business is to enrich the lives around you. And hopefully, hopefully, we would prefer to be doing meaningful work in the world more than meaningless vacations in the world. If you're in your calling, you're probably more excited to get back to work from vacation. Now, I understand many of us have to work jobs we don't like to, to pay the bills. And there's grace for all of us because a lot of life is things that are just hard. It just is. But attitude matters. Even in a job we hate, we can, we can redeem the job we hate by offering it to the Lord from a heart with the intention of him being glorified and served, not our boss and not, not just the people in front of us. There's a way to redeem that stuff. Let's get back to the notes, Tim. There's a victorious Christian mindset. There's a victorious Christ mindset that's living fixed on Jesus, focused on Jesus, that's aware of Jesus constantly. Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep in perfect peace those who trust in you because their thoughts are fixed on you. You will keep in perfect peace those who trust in you because their thoughts are fixed on you. Isn't that interesting? There's like three pieces to that. If your thoughts are fixed on Jesus, it will help your heart to trust him and trusting him will enable you to have that peace protect you. It comes apart if any of those three is, well, those first two is missing. In my experience, we can sense the spirit in us being fanned into flame when our attention is on the right thing with the intention of honoring him. Let me say that again. In my experience, we can sense the spirit of God being fanned into flame within us when our attention is on the right thing and when our intention is for him to receive our activities as love. A while back, the Lord told me, you're doing it wrong. I said, doing what wrong? He said, being led by the Spirit. I said, well, what am I doing wrong? He said, you're trying to figure out what I'm doing and then just be partnered with me. 
I said, what's wrong with that? He said, it's gonna lead to charismatic legalism where you're always second guessing all the impulses and feelings and thoughts, wondering if that was the spirit. And I'm like, okay, well, how should I be doing this? He said, stop trying to worry so much about whether it's me and instead understand that you're under grace and offer whatever you are doing to me as an act of love. I started doing that. You know what? That was a major upgrade. Wash the dishes. Jesus, please receive this as worship. That's a, that's a major upgrade. Yeah, the Lord knows stuff. Jesus is meant to be our obsession. Here's the definition of obsession. An idea or thought that continually preoccupies your mind or intrudes into your mind. I, when, I, when I use the word obsession, you go, well, that seems like a strong word. Do you really want to use that word? Uh-huh. Yep. Paul's like, okay, since all this is true, be completely God-intoxicated, Christ-centered, Christ-focused, obsessed. Think about him. Be aware of him. David said, I have set the Lord always before me. Well, that's interesting. Because he is at my right hand, I shall never be shaken. That's the same thing the Isaiah verse said, isn't it? You keep in perfect peace the one who's, who trusts in you because his mind is fixed on you. David, I have set the Lord ever before me because he is at my right hand, I will never be shaken. It's the same truth. All right. So the, these, just for those of you who care about how, I've structured, how the Colossians 3 is structured, these were structured under this one, raised. So now let's look at this one. He died, we died with him. If he died and we died with him, then that means, I think, that so many of the old beliefs, attitudes, thought processes, goals, agendas, habits, hobbies, patterns of life that we used to live in no longer fit. I used to dress a certain way before I met Jesus. And if I couldn't dress that way, I felt embarrassed, awkward, and ashamed to be seen in public. Like if I couldn't dress like a skater punk with the huge, I mean like the huge pants, it's like 14 pairs of jeans into one, yes. Like three dudes could be in those pants at the same time, like as a joke, we'd be like, ah, look at we got your pants. And, I, and yet I wore them. And old like, uh, you know, cardigans and stuff and sweaters, cause Kurt Cobain was like the guy that I was like, oh yeah, he's super sad and depressed and has things about beauty and yes, that's just like me, I'm super sad and depressed. You know, I had this identity thing built into, uh, I, ne I needed you to see what I wanted to project to you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then when I met Jesus, it's not like I said, oh, that's embarrassing to dress that way. As much as it was, oh, that embarrassment I feel when I'm not dressed that way no longer uh, seems to affect me anymore because I'm not finding my identity through, through, culture and fitting into a particular group and I need you to, I no longer am finding my identity in what I used to find my identity in. So now I can dress however I am dressed and it's fine. Does that make any sense? Yes. So, and I'm not trying to criticize people who dress like Kurt Cobain. I still think it looks cool. And I, yeah, he was a beautiful man, just to be honest. Yep. I had a dream about him on the 20th anniversary of his death 
which was random because I didn't read the news and discover that I had the dream. And then I was like, what, Lord, what are you saying? The Lord told me that he was like, almost like an apostolic figure of influence for that generation, speaking something of the zeitgeist, that's a big word, something of the feeling and attitudes of that generation. And that, and that those feelings and attitudes were gonna make a resurgence in the current generation. And people were gonna look to him again. And I was like, why are you telling me all this, Holy Spirit? I still don't know. Sometimes these spiritual things that happen are very much in the mystery category. Okay, but my point is this. Many, see, are you praying for me? Because this is exactly what I said. I feel like I'm gonna need prayer to stay focused. So many of the old beliefs, attitudes, and thought processes, and goals, and agendas, and habits, and hobbies, and patterns of our previous life are now like clothes that no longer fit you. John eleven forty four. Whenever you see, whenever I see eleven forty four on the clock, I think of this verse: Lazarus has been raised from the dead. He <laughs> comes out. He's all wrapped up in tight cloths, and he stinketh in the King James, right? <laughs> and Jesus says, John eleven forty four: Unbind him and let him go. Why? Get those, get those grave clothes off him. He's not dead anymore. And because he's not dead, those stinky clothes that are restraining him that have to do with dead people, they don't belong on him anymore. Since you and I have died, interestingly enough, and have been raised, the clothes we used to wear, the behaviors, the thought processes, the attitudes, the values, they, they're like, they're grave clothes. They don't belong on us anymore. I like the idea, though, that other people can help us get them, get them off. That's beautiful. Like, that's a ministry among each other. And I, I'm not against counseling, but I do think that one of the reasons that professional counseling is so popular nowadays is because healthy friendships are missing. We're disconnected from deep relationships because social media connects us superficially. And what we need is healthier, deeper Christian relationships so that we will be ministering love and identity and support and encouragement and correction and rebuke to each other so we don't have to pay a professional to care about us and listen to us. I'm not against counseling. I have Christian counseling friends. I do counseling for crying out loud. But studies have shown that professional counselors are literally equivalent effective as a friend who cares. Z like all those PhDs, are z they give you a zero percentage effectiveness at helping people over against a friend who cares. It doesn't mean they're not gonna keep making money because we're desperate, we'll buy a friend. All right, that was irresponsible. There's definitely like all sorts of caveat caveats and footnotes that I need to put at the end of that. Like if you've been through specific things that someone has a skill and a PTSD and all sorts, Take it with a grain of salt, but you hear my heart. For, point three, hidden. The real Jesus right now is not seen by the world. He's Lord, isn't he? Does the world look like he's Lord? He's exalted. Have you looked around? Does it look like he's reigning right now? He's seated on a throne. That means he's reigning as king. He's sovereign, which if that's what it means to, to be sovereign, some people are like, God's sovereign. And what they mean by that is everything that happens is God's will. And I go, 
Well, I'm sovereign in my household, but that doesn't mean everything that happens in my household is my will. There's a big difference between being in control and being in charge, isn't there? Jesus is in charge, but he's not in control because he does not take control because he actually wants free people who exercise responsibility. And because he's not a controlling Jesus, we have the kind of world we have where he longs for voluntary love relationship. So his lordship is hidden currently. His glory is hidden currently. In fact, Paul says the rulers and authorities, they wouldn't have even crucified him if they had seen his glory, if they had recognized his glory, if they had perceived his glory, they wouldn't have done it. That's interesting. This applies to you as well. So if you want to know who you are, I, 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 are you like me? Do you want to live from a true identity? Are you interested in knowing who you really are? I remember, there's, there's, there's a, here's a word that for some reason just really appeals to me, significance. I want to know, this, I want to know that my life has significance. I want to know that I have value and purpose, and I want to live that value, and I want to live that purpose. Well, if that matters at all to you, then you need to seek Jesus. Because the real you is hid with Christ in God. And you won't find it by looking within yourself. Just going to navel gaze. and You won't even find it by, by searching through your story and telling your life's story and evaluating how your childhood went and how you were treated and how you were formed. That's, that matters. That's fun. If you're doing that with an eye to find God's faithfulness in it. But a lot of people, they fall down a well of morbid introspection instead of looking above where Christ is to find their real self, which is hid with him and God. They look within themselves or around their life or how life has gone. Oh, they rejected me. Oh, they didn't love me. Oh, then this happened. Oh, I'm a loser. Oh, I'll always be a failure. Oh, I'll never find love. Why? Because that kept happening in my life. So now they're looking for, to life to tell them who they are. They're looking below on earth what's visible. They're walking by sight and not by faith. And we're called to walk by and not by. We're called to seek the things that are above where Christ is because your real self is only found by finding him. It's not even found by finding you or seeking you. Jesus said, if you hold on to your life, what's going to happen? You're going to lose. You're not going to find. And in the Greek, the word soul is the same word for the word self. I don't know what our obsession is with the word soul. We think of our soul as, oh, that's that part of us that's going to go to hell or heaven. No, the soul is the real you. You can lose your soul way before you ever go to hell. Does that make sense? You can live hell on earth and have no clue who you are way before you ever die. And in fact, I'll just throw this out there for fun. The reason that the faith is so captivating to me is not because avoiding hell is my agenda. The power of the Christian gospel is not just to escape hell later, obviously. The power of the Christian gospel is to make sense of the meaning of life now. That's why I came to faith. The hell on earth and the meaninglessness and the lostness of my life now, right? To get free of me in charge of me. 
So this world can't tell you who you are. Listen to this unbelievably beautiful verse. Revelation 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that that no one knows except the one who receives it. That's, 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 in that, that's, that's the marrow. That's the fat. I say fat and people are like, oh, I don't eat fat. Well, you should. Because that's where the flavor is at, y'all. That white stone that Jesus knows the name and you know the name. There's something so intimate between the two of you. You will not find you until you find him. Years and years ago, the Lord told me this. I had this picture of the, the bride of Christ looking in the mirror and trying to get herself up to her own standards and trying to get herself together and being so neurotic and self-judgmental about her various imperfections because she has, you and I have a standard of beauty, our own opinions of how we wish we could be. And the Lord said, this is my, this is my church. She's anxiously trying to get herself ready for me instead of coming to me and, and, and I said, well, what's wrong with this? And he says, this mirror is illegal. Okay, well, what mirror is legal? He said, the only mirror that is legal for you is your reflection in my eyes. We're so evaluating ourselves, measuring ourselves by what we think, what we feel, instead of come to him, present ourselves as we are, and look into his eyes the only mirror that we are allowed to see ourselves through is our reflection in his eyes. Why? Because his eyes, they come along with his voice and with his expression, and with his heart. It's not abstracted. I still haven't worked out all that that means. Jesus said of himself, no one knows the son except the father. I love that. No one knows Jesus except for the father in heaven. If, and Jesus knew that deep in his bones. Think about what that did to him socially. If you knew that no one around you even knows who you really are, and therefore doesn't, if they don't know who you are, then they don't know why you are either. And if they don't know why you are, then how likely are they to incorrectly assess whether you're on target with your life? Was that, was that unclear? Do I need to unpack that a little bit more? If only the father knows the son, then only the father can sign the son's report cards. You can't evaluate your faithfulness to God based on human responses. If only the father knows the son, then only the father can tell the son who he is. And if it was true for Jesus, I'll bet it's true for you. The real you is hid with Christ in God. The world can't tell you who you are. Your life can't tell you who you are. I'm just going to repeat myself. The mirror you've been looking to to see who you are is lying to you. You need to find out who you are by seeking him, finding him, hearing his voice, his word, his gospel, his truth, his story. You traded stories with him. Don't you know that? You traded stories. You're not rejected and fallen and broken. You're not wounded and, and hurting and trying and hanging in there. You've traded stories. 
You're accepted and beloved and holy and blameless and blessed. Every spiritual blessing is yours. Because of him. Not because of us, because of him. The real you is not the you that's currently manifesting on earth. It's the you that will manifest on earth as you walk by faith. The real you is even hidden from you. And to discover it, you got to seek Jesus. You got to seek him. Fourth one, it, Christ is your life. He is eternal life. Christ is the way to the Father. Salvation's not in a belief system. It's in a person, him. It's in him. So meditate on him. Study him. Listen to him. Learn of him. Lean on him. Submit to him. Honor him. Behold him. Drink him in. And as you behold, you will become. As you behold, you will become. We become like what we worship. Romans 1, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, 2 Peter 1. As you behold, you will become. Listen to this, Acts 4, 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, courage of Peter, didn't Peter and John go running? Didn't Peter and John flee? Didn't John run and, and, and Peter say, I don't know him. But surely you know him. Aren't you one of those Galileans? Your accent gives you away. I don't know him. I saw you with him. I, t- I don't know him. I know it. What do you mean, Peter? And- oh, well, here they're preaching. Same boys. Same boys that fled, yep. hid in the woods and cried. Now they're out in public ready to die, filled with boldness. Just a few days later, what happened? Acts 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. He's our gospel, y'all. If that's the secret to power and transformation, oh, they've been with Jesus. I'll bet it's the secret for our transformation too. Be much with Jesus. Fifth, Soon he'll be revealed. When? When he returns. You know, there's a lot of diff- disagreements on eschatology in the church. Oh, it's pre-trib, it's post-trib, it's mid-trib, it's post-millennialism, amillennialism, there's preterism, lots of isms and schisms and gisms and flisms. I don't know. And schmism, wasm, blism, blasms. But everybody says he's coming back. He died, he rose, he'll return, he'll reign. We win. Death won't win, he'll return. And when he returns, Philippians says, by the power that enables Jesus to bring everything under his, this is scripture, y'all. By the power that enables Jesus to bring everything under his control, when he returns, he will transform your body to be just like the body he's in right now. Walking through walls, floating around, not dying or needing sleep. That's it on, can I nap if I want to? I won't need to. And then there's the people who are like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Apparently not, actually. <laughs> you know, it's kind of backwards. 
Yeah, Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven and we're eagerly awaiting from heaven a savior. Our eyes are on heaven, our eyes are on him. We're seeing him until then. We're living with our eyes fixed on him. But one day what our faith is in will be made sight. And when it is made sight, we will also be changed in a moment to be like him. That's our gospel. He'll transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So we'll be revealed when he's revealed. The world don't know us yet. We hardly know us yet. We're seeking him living by faith. When he comes back, there will be a reveal. And that reveal will be glorious, guys. It will be glorious. We'll be revealed with him in glory. Currently, our spirits are totally righteous, but our souls, our mind, will, and our emotions are in a process of being transformed. Our bodies are awaiting that day to be flipped over into what's ours. That's exactly right. And I will read a quote very shortly to that exact effect. Well, I hope. I hope we all go and make it. Because not everyone will be beautiful, right? So 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we don't lose heart, though inwardly, I'm sorry, let me flip it and get it correct. Though outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Romans 8, 23. The whole creation, but not just the whole creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit are groaning. Oh, what? So the gospel that makes you joyful also makes you dissatisfied? Yes. Can you be both at the same time? Yes. Can you be tasting and seeing? Oh, this is amazing. And also hungry for more at the same time? Yes. The earth is groaning, and we are groaning, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What are we groaning for? We're groaning as we eagerly wait for the adoption as children, which is the redemption of our bodies. It's coming. We're just about done, guys. C.S. Lewis, The Weight of Glory. Listen to this. This is, some, this is what Bunny was talking about. This is C.S. Lewis. It is a serious thing to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw them, what they're going to be, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or, or, a horror and a corruption that if you met them, it would be a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to become one or the other. It's in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with each other. All of our friendships, all of our loves, all of our play, all of our politics should be done with this kind of circumspection that we're helping or harming people become unbelievably glorious creatures or, or terrifyingly horrible demonic creatures. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, those are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. Oh, perspective. But it is immortals that we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors.
Final thought, 1 John 3, verse two. Beloved, we are now God's children and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Go ahead and stand. You wanna repeat after me? Father, I thank you that Jesus has been raised, that I've been raised in him, that I died in him, that I'm hidden in him, that Jesus is my life, that when he is revealed, I will be revealed in, in, with him, that when his glory is revealed, my glory will be revealed. So I set my mind on him. I fix my eyes on Jesus. Fill me. Amen. Amen. Amen.